0: This is Savio. I've been seeking answers to some of life's most perplexing questions my entire life. In 2014, I was diagnosed with stage three cancer. And ever since, I realized my calling existed outside of what I knew to be familiar. This podcast is your home for survivors like myself and those who are searching to find meaning to their why. In season two, the show includes a mix of coaching sessions followed immediately by interviews with those from all walks of life who have been successful in the business, marketing, coaching, and financial worlds. The intent is to show the human experience in its rawest form so that others may glean insight. Nothing is rehearsed or has been edited. As a board-certified wellness coach, my job is to ask the deep questions of those trying to make sense of their place in this fractured world. I believe life speaks to us in different ways. Many of us listen but don't know how or where to begin. As someone who has crossed the bridge between life and death, I say simply, begin where you are now and get busy living. If you liked today's episode, I would appreciate if you could share it and subscribe. Be sure to tag me at The Human Resolve so I can reciprocate in kind. So without further ado, welcome to The Human Resolve Podcast. A master of self-esteem, Christine Handy practices her self-care routine without fail, but every now and then, life attempts to knock her off the path. As a breast cancer survivor, model, author, and motivational speaker, Christine must find the grit and grace to give herself as much as she readily serves others. Hi, Christine. Good to see you.
1: Oh, so good to be here. Thank you.
0: Sure. So what would you like coaching on?
1: Well, I'm, I feel like I'm a master at self-esteem, but I think sometimes I trip my own self up just because of past beliefs. And so I'm always looking for new tips on how to, um, what's the best way to say it? Stop that negative energy in my brain. Stop that negative voice Mm -hmm. and just trust, just trust.
0: Yeah. So what I'm hearing is you are really good at self-esteem, but sometimes you hear that negative voice and you just want to trust in in who you are as a person. Correct?
1: Right? Yes. Right.
0: So what would be a good outcome takeaway for today?
1: A little to learn a little bit more a few more tools to put in my belt on self esteem and self worth.
0: A few more tools to put underneath your belt. Yep.
1: Yes. that's, that would be great.
0: Okay. So how has the idea of self esteem in your life? How how has it worked? Or how has it manifested?
1: Well, I had a really low self-esteem for 40 years, and I was a model for a very, very long time. And I was in a um, emotionally abusive relationship, and you know, I had a lot of voices in my life that were putting me down. And I think it started from childhood. And you just, you know, that's what you know, that's what you believe. And when I started to get ill, I realized that my time, my expiration date, was maybe coming sooner than most, or maybe than I had anticipated. And so I was actively trying to figure out how to live a better life. And so I focused during that time of chemotherapy and illness um, on trying to nurture my own self esteem because I needed to show up for myself during that time. And so I did a lot of, you know, work to in, in introspection to learn who I was. And I did a really good job. And I listen. I preach about it all the time. And I think I do. I I helped so many people. But sometimes I have this just little voice that says, oh, you've done nothing. Oh, you've accomplished nothing. Oh, and I don't, it's not very, it's not very strong. And I usually squash that voice. I don't want to have that voice anymore at all.
0: So you said for 40 years, you pretty much grew up battling this idea of, you know, self-esteem. And for the most part, you handle that aspect. Um, I'm curious, how has self-esteem been able to disarm you or take away your, your power?
1: Well, if you don't believe in yourself, which I didn't believe in myself, I made poor decisions and those decisions were based on trying to fill up my void, my loneliness in my life with materialism or accolades from other people or staying in relationships out of fear of not being enough.
0: And how have you been able to, in your life, sort of accomplish that or overcome that?
1: Well, I've started to do a lot of self-esteem work and self-esteem, self-love. Uh, I started to listen to different podcasts. I started to read different things. Um, I had a lot of people show up for me, which in- encouraged me to believe in myself because I figured, well, if believe- they believe in me, then maybe I should start believing in me. And they became kind of a courage net for me until I was able to rebound and stand on my own two feet after chemotherapy. And and that just carried itself. Like after that, I was more able to trust in my writing. And so I wrote a book and my book became successful and that kind of gave me some more momentum. And then I became a motivational speaker and that gave me more momentum because people wanted to hear from me and my voice got louder. And I start to believe in myself more and more because, you know, those things that I attempted to do were successful. Now, of course, it was a lot of rigorous work and no social life and no time off, but I accomplished a lot of things I wanted to accomplish. And of course, that helps our self esteem. Um, and so it's been many years of practicing how to believe more in myself
0: is that little voice that you mentioned it is always in the head no um, where's, where does it lie
1: it just peeps out and, I'm, and it kind of it's a double cross because all of a sudden it will peep out and I'm like where did that come from <laughs> I thought we got rid of you a long time ago and that can be frustrating because we can't control everything that pops into our head
0: What what are some of the messages it it tells you?
1: You're not enough. You've done nothing with your life.
0: You're not enough. You've done nothing in your life. And so how do you, you said time time to time you squash it. How do do you do that?
1: Well, I just say I am enough. That's not true. That's false. Um, That's a false thought. And I take those thoughts captive and I get rid of them. But they can linger and I don't, I want to get to a place where I just don't even have those thoughts.
0: Is there anyone in your life that you admire or you consider is really good at eliminating some of those thoughts?
1: I don't think we talk enough about them on an intimate level with friends and family. I think if I approach the subject and talk to, let's say, my mother or one of my best friends, you know, they would indulge me, but they wouldn't get very deep into it. I think people have... Guards up about their own self esteem, and I don't know that it would be a fruitful conversation. I do believe that women, I I do have women in my life who I really look up to, and they've done a lot of incredible things in their life. They could not have done those with a poor self esteem. And so, I, you know, they've modeled what I do now for me. They were modeling it for me when I was going through chemotherapy, and I I, I saw them being very driven and believe in their, themselves and put themselves out there. And so I thought, wow, if they can do that, if they believe in themselves in that regard, then it's possible that I can.
0: Mm-hmm. You, know, you spoke a lot about sort of chemotherapy. What has been your experience with that? I mean, there's always a mix back with that, but just curious. Yeah,
1: chemo was interesting. It was uh, very traumatic. Um, I was very, very, very ill. I went through 28 rounds of chemo. It was 15 months of my life. I had um, small children at the time and was really unable to take care of myself, much less my family. So not only was I not, I was not certain whether I was gonna make it through chemotherapy. There were many nights I went to bed and I wasn't sure I was gonna wake up. And there were times I was in the hospital in a bubble because my immune system was so low. And so that, that changes you. You know, for me, it changed me in good ways. But I also carry a lot of trauma from that. You know, I like to describe myself as having post-traumatic wisdom, but I also have a lot of post-traumatic other stuff.
0: Hmm. What do you, what did uh, chemo take away from you?
1: What stripped me from at least two years of, of being a parent. And, and, you know, that never really came back as, as a normal mother, you know, parenting their child because I had two boys and, you know, they were very afraid when I was going chemo, to, you know, while well, going through chemotherapy and all that illness. And so when, what happens is, as we all know, well, you and I know, uh, fear translates into anger. So they really pushed me away and they continue to do that on some level because I think they're afraid I'm not going to make it, you know, not, you know, obviously very visibly I look very healthy, but I've had a lot of complications to chemo. I've had a lot of stints in the hospital post chemotherapy. And I think that wears them down. And so as a parent, you for me, I have some insecurity about that as being a parent to my children.
0: Would you like to explore this insecurity? Sure. Okay, just want you to get comfortable in your seat. If you feel inclined, you can close your eyes or soften your gaze. Just want you to take a couple of breaths in and out. I always love a good body scan. So we'll just I just want you to breathe into the different body parts that I mentioned. The top of your head. Forehead. The eyes nose, the ears, the mouth, the lips, the neck, shoulders, upper body, the arms, hands, stomach, the lower body, the legs, the feet, just want you to take a couple of breaths in and out again, explore this idea of, or this feeling of insecurity. Does that hit you anywhere, Christine?
1: Hmm. It kind of makes me feel weak overall.
0: Weak overall? Yeah. What's the weakness, saying or doing?
1: I mean, it makes me feel kind of worn out.
0: Hmm. Can you describe any sensations or feelings from it?
1: I don't feel I don't think I feel anything physically in my body Um, maybe just in my head but it definitely is heavy
0: it's heavy in, in your head yes does it have any anything to tell you or anything it wants to say
1: Well, I mean, I can do my own self-care and say, let it go. Okay. But I think that's, but I think I'm overruling whatever it's saying. <laughs> I think it's okay. a choice.
0: <laughs> okay. So do you want to breathe into it and see beyond the overruling if, if it has anything else?
1: Yeah, it just feels very heavy. It's, it's interesting because I've had so many other traumas in my life. I've been... Physically abused, emotionally abused, chemo, and um, breast cancer, and twenty-three non-elective surgeries, and bullied by a doctor, and that I've kind of detached a lot. So it's hard for me to it's hard to get into that shell.
0: Hmm. If I, um, I don't know, if I had a magic wand and created a perfect scenario for you regarding this situation with insecurity and that shell that you mentioned what would you how would you want to express yourself
1: um i think i would just want those those past losses and past feelings to just be in the past not come up anymore because it is in the past but it doesn't feel always like it is in the past
0: so when it's not in the past what happens
1: it feels very heavy It feels very hopeless.
0: It feels very hopeless. You mentioned previously that you kind of had put those thoughts and focused on self care. So when the hopeless comes, what do you actually do to push it away?
1: I stay busy. I focus on work, I focus on helping people.
0: And does that work for your own self-care?
1: It does. (laughs) It helps me a lot, actually, because I know if I'm helping other people so that they don't have to feel as bad as I do, it gives me comfort.
0: But in a perfect world, what would would Christine just want beyond helping other people?
1: I mean, I want a normal, like, white picket fence family. I want, you know, I want to love. I want to love people. I want to be loved. I want my kids to have a normal life. I want, um, I want to have balance. I want to work, but I also want to play. I want to serve others, but I also want to um, you know, be fulfilled in my own life. So that, that seems a little bit, that's something I'm reaching for, but I'm not doing a very good job because I'm very passionate about what I do. And that's kind of taken over my life for many years.
0: Are those things you want to create, are they realistic? Can they actually happen?
1: Sure, yeah. I mean, yeah. my kids are in college, so them coming home and you know living with me is probably not realistic, just because of their ages. But I, yeah, I think that there's love out there for me.
0: How can you <laughs> create steps to... Have some of these good things follow.
1: Um, I have to change the persistence to just work. I have to change the grit and grace to just put it, give it to other people and maybe give more to myself.
0: And how does that actually look in your life? Like, what would you have to do?
1: Take time off of work. Not work, not, and not have my laptop on my lap when I'm in bed till 11 o'clock at night. Not look at my phone at three in the morning when I wake up to use the restroom to see if, you know, answer messages, answer emails. Not, um, you know, book six interviews in a week and speeches and you know, not spend 12 hours a week on Zoom.
0: <laughs> if you did those things, what would you lose?
1: I think I wouldn't help as many people, and that, and I don't like that thought.
0: So who's more important? Helping other people, or Christine?
1: Apparently helping other people. <laughs> That's a fair is that, question.
0: Is that something you're okay with?
1: I, I mean, I think there's been some rumbling inside of me that says it's not. It's been my comfort zone for several years. So to step back from that is uncomfortable because we're comfortable even in distress because it's normal for us. So yeah, I'd have to really make some fundamental changes. And I, I think I have recently some, like I'm taking a vacation tomorrow, which I haven't done in many years. So and it, we'll see, we'll see if I can really not work when I'm out in California trying to detach from work. We'll see. We'll see if I can do that.
0: What do you think the aftermath would be if you gave more time to Christine and less time to others?
1: Hmm. I don't know. I mean, I think probably I'd have to face some of the things that, some of those traumas
0: Is that something you're comfortable with, with wanting to explore?
1: I feel like I did, you know, I feel like I had therapy after chemo. I think I had therapy after, um, yeah, some personal relationships ended. I've had, yeah, long time therapy and I I feel like I'm equipped with the tools. So, you know, to go back into that space, I don't know, seems kind of depressing.
0: (laughs) What would be the best outcome for going to that space for you?
1: Having more balance in my life.
0: What what are your self care routines?
1: Well, I, I I mean I've eliminated the people that didn't cheer me on, and so those people are not toxicity in my life. I have very strong boundaries around me. I don't allow people to emotionally abuse me. I um I listen to certain podcasts that are very uplifting. I listen to uh, faith-based music, because that helps me. I don't watch the news, because that's fear-based, and um, I, I don't want that to be a thought in my brain. I, um, I, work, I, mean, I exercise, I go to school to help my brain, I work out to help my body, I eat healthy to, you know, so that I don't get ill in the future. And so I do a lot of things on a day-to-day basis that are self-care.
0: So, you know, this, this little voice that you mentioned sometimes creeps up. What do you think its purpose is?
1: Um, well, you know, when, you, when you're used to shame and being put down for 40 years, it doesn't just go away. And so you have to unwind that. So I'm I'm trying to unwind that. And I have unwound unwound a lot of it. So I'm very proud of that. But I'm just trying to unwind it a bit more.
0: Do you think um, that you can unwind it to the point of it being at at zero or set point?
1: I think so. Yeah.
0: And what would that have to sort of, like, what does that entail?
1: I think more self care work. You know, having more balance in my life and setting maybe different boundaries and more boundaries. Yeah. I think it's a it's a daily practice for sure.
0: Hmm. So if if you're okay, I wanna sort of give you a resource.
1: Sure.
0: Sure. There's a book by Richard Carson called Taming Your Gremlin. I mention it a few times because it seems like this theme. Is something that a lot of people struggle with and uh, basically in the book it's just you know it's your you know your inner critic and sort of it's there and he basically talks about taming strategies that you can never really get rid of it you can only really tame it and so yeah. my visual is like the scene in ghostbusters where they zap the go- the goblin and puts puts them in a medical you know metal box box um, it's just a suggestion that i wanted to sort of put out there for you
1: yeah that's great i have very little time to read because I'm at Harvard, but I'm, but I will, I will, I have, I have audible, so I'll, I'll do that. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. always willing to read, to, to search and to get new knowledge.
0: So how do you, how do you suppose you can keep yourself accountable? I mean, you mentioned a few things here, a couple of strategies, I mean, new tools. I mean, what other things in your arsenal or things that you know of that you can maybe implement?
1: Well, I think recently I've asked other people to help me be accountable And that's helped because they they are trying to make me accountable by helping me have more balance in my life. So I think asking people to help with this is imperative to me changing.
0: Can you rely on them?
1: I can, because they have been making me accountable. (laughs) Maybe too much. (laughs) (laughs)
0: What is, uh, what is what thing you wish that, uh, you could do in this area beyond the support of others? Um, that you, you know, that you love to sort of you know, generate.
1: Well, I think I've put my social life on hold because I. This has been more of my calling has been more important. I think I need to start, you know, reaching out to people and doing more things outside of my home instead of just working. And I think that will make me more accountable. You know, even if it's like one time a day, you know, go, you know, meet somebody for coffee. That will help make me more accountable. Mm-hmm.
0: Do you do any um, meditation or breathing exercise or anything of that sort in your life?
1: I do. I do both, actually.
0: And the benefits have been positive, negative?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Very positive.
0: Very positive. Okay, excellent. So we talked a lot about sort of you, you know, sort of (laughs) getting your self-esteem back or get your happy back. Um, How does this all shake up for you?
1: Getting the happy back? Mm-hmm. I mean, it sounds very inviting. It sounds. It sounds it's it's a good calling.
0: Well, I, good see transition you, to have. I see you smiling. Are you? How is that sort of feeling in your head and in your body? Lighter. Lighter.
1: Yeah. Lighter.
0: Yeah. All right. Is this a good place for us to transition into sure. the interview? Yeah. Wonderful. So, tell my audience more about Christine Handy, what you do, who you are.
1: So I am an author of a book called Walk Beside Me. I'm a motivational speaker. I am a breast cancer survivor. I'm a longtime model. I'm a lifer model. I go to school. I go to Harvard. I'm getting my master's degree in literature and creative writing. And I am a mother of two sons. Well, I'm actually on on the board of two nonprofits as well.
0: Christine, how can you do it all? You're doing it all. How do you manage?
1: There's more. There's more to that list. I just, (laughs) it's better if somebody else reads it than I do because I feel like, oh my God, I'm already worn out just talking about it. How do I do it all? Um, I do it all by getting rid of my social life, by not doing small talk, (laughs) um, and focusing solely on building a brand, a career in this space. I was a model for many, many, many years. And when I got breast cancer and that career went away, I reinvented myself by sharing my story in a very vulnerable space, which is my book, Walk Beside Me, it's a fictional depiction of my life. And that kind of opened up a platform for me to talk about my story and to help other women through my speaking career, which has been now five years. And that opened up some space to do social media and to become a voice there. And then I went on the board of two nonprofits. And then I started modeling again. And then I decided to go back to school because I had chemo brain. So that's kind of how it all happened. And here we are today.
0: <laughs> so, what's next? What's the dream?
1: So, the dream is to have my book made into a film, which uh, an incredible human being, uh, Ziad Hamza, who is an Oscar award winning screenplay writer and director, wrote the screenplay. Awesome. And it's been in production to become a film called "Will of the Feature Film. And it was uh, put on hold because of COVID. So the dream is to get it back in action. And, you know, I'm getting my master's degree. I've been studying for about a year and a half. I have about a year and a half more. So to complete my master's degree and to put out a second book, which I've already written, but I'm, um, I'm revising right now. And, you know, I want to find love again and and be you know have the white picket fence and a little house and yeah that's the goal
0: so in each one of those lives or work experiences what has been some life lessons that you've sort of stuck to
1: well i you know everything that i've done i believe that most things that i've done i try not to use the word everything I try not to use the word absolute, those absolutes anymore. Most things that I've done in my life, including going through the illnesses, had to build a home, right? Because if you don't build a home, then the trauma gets too much. And so I had to build a home in that space. The illness space had to build a home in the modeling space. I had to build a home post illness. And so, you know, recognizing that and actually following through with that helped me, helped serve me a lot. And so now I am in the space of serving other people, helping other people. And I've built a really strong house. And the next phase of my life includes serving people and includes all these things, but it also is gonna look a little bit different because I'm gonna open it up for more social life. I'm gonna open it up for more personal relationships. So the house is not being, Torn down, the house is just changing, and if I see it like that, I'm able to transition a little bit better.
0: So I wanted to thank you for taking part in my interview series. I survived cancer, and here is how I did it. Um, what has been the you know the response from it?
1: Well, I think storytelling changes lives because I'll give you an example. When I was going through breast cancer, I didn't have any contemporaries that had cancer. So I, as I looked around at, at my friends and my family, I was alone. Although they were physically there, I felt very alone. And I didn't know how to get through it. And so the art of being able to share the story, whether it's in an article or it's in a book or it's on a podcast, it's a gift. Because if we're vulnerable, vulnerable in sharing our story and brave in sharing our story, the next person that has to go through it, they get this material and they can say, okay, well, I'll take I'll take the tidbits of wisdom, the post-traumatic wisdom that I have, or you have, or other people have, and that serves them. And I think that's good fuel to help them through their journey. Again, I was searching for those types of things when I was going through chemotherapy and I couldn't find them. I was given a lot of spiritual books when I was going through chemotherapy, but there wasn't, a book about it, like a fictional depiction of a life, a woman going through breast cancer. And so I wrote that in an effort to show people, Hey, this is not easy. There's a lot of really bad parts. And these many things about me aren't very, uh, you know, I put myself in a vulnerable position because you don't, it's not important to say, okay, well, all these people showed up for me and I got through it and look how healthy I am. That doesn't help anybody. What helps people is to say, this is the good, the bad and the ugly. And this is how I did it. And so I think articles like, you know, the ones that you did, all of them have helped other people because they've been able to share their stories in a way that people can help can help them in their own lives.
0: Can you speak more of, to this post-traumatic wisdom? I absolutely love that phrase.
1: <laughs> um, well, you know, I think our reaction is all we really have to everything in life. So when you're diagnosed with cancer you definitely have a reaction. I had a very strong reaction. I felt very hopeless, I felt very angry, I felt very lost. But over time, I needed to change that reaction in order to live a life. And I needed to shift from being so focused on the outcome. And so I believe that with all the trauma that I've gone through, I've evolved in so many different ways, spiritually, emotionally, physically, and I went from having a, being very self-involved to being very selfless and the post-traumatic wisdom is, well, how'd you do that? And how can I do that? And so I talk a lot about, you know, being, focusing on things that are concrete for me, it's my faith versus me focusing on outside accolades, which really got me nowhere in life. Although I had plenty of them, my plenty now looks different. I want plenty of faith. I want plenty of serving other people. I don't want plenty of things, material things. I don't want plenty of outside accolades. I wanna feel plenty within my own self. And I don't want that to be dependent on the outside world. So that's that's kind of my post-traumatic wisdom. I have a lot of it and I like to share it, but I think it's, a, you know, I do have post-traumatic PTSD but I want to use my PTSD to help other people.
0: Hmm. Or do, for someone who just is listening to this and was maybe told they have cancer, they know have a loved one who has cancer, what, what would be three things that you would suggest that they do?
1: I think that when we try to rely on other people to get us through anything in life, that's a fail. And you're setting yourself up for failure. Like when I got married, I thought, well, my husband's going to take care of me. You know, he's he's not an extension of me. He's supposed to be my caretaker. I mean, I was 23, and that's kind of what I was used to, that kind of that kind of female lie. And the older I get, the more I realize, no, no, he doesn't have a responsibility to take care of me. I have to take care of me. I have an opportunity to ask people when I need help. That's my job to ask for help. So when I was diagnosed with cancer, I was afraid to ask for help because I felt like that was a pride issue. And if I wasn't independent and strong, then people would look at me differently. Well, it turns out if I had not asked for help, if I had not gotten rid of that pride, I wouldn't be sitting here having this conversation. I wouldn't have made it through. So we have to let go of the pride and the ego and the insecurity that people won't help you because first of all, they want to help you, but we have to be willing to ask and say, I can't do this alone. I'm going to fight for my life, but I need help. So that was one. Um, the second thing is I would, you know, be your best advocate for me. I went through a very difficult time before I went through breast cancer where I had an arm issue and I relied on a doctor who, you know, we believe that doctors voices and we believe that their authority and they are the, the, not gods, but they're the authority. And I trusted that doctor. You know, they're, the first thing you listen to, the first thing that they're taught in medical school is do no harm. And I believed him. Well, he ended up bullying me for many, many months and now I'm permanently handicapped. And so when I was diagnosed with cancer, I thought to myself, okay, I'm gonna get multiple opinions. I have to not listen to people that are bullying me and I have to not listen to people that are saying to me, you shouldn't get another opinion. I would encourage all people to get second opinions, just so you're equipped with all the information. And I didn't do that. And I, it, it cost me, right? It cost me my right arm. Um, and I think the last thing is, I think you have to work on your self esteem because illness can be very traumatic. and illness can make you feel alone. And chronic illness, chronic pain can be very depleting. And so for me, I had to fill up myself with, you know, uh, I had to focus on faith versus focusing on the bags that I could no longer carry, right? And so when I started to focus on faith and things that were not of this world, that made me feel, feel more hopeful. And so the shift for me was focusing on to be dependent, right, to asking for help but to be secure in myself and to be dependent on my faith and not this world.
0: Hmm. What do you, the model world, you mentioned that a few times. What has that sort of given you in your life?
1: Well, I've been in the model world for 40 years, and I I don't want to diss it because it's been, it, it feels very comforting for me when I do a modeling shoot because I've been doing it for so long. When I was young, very young, I started very young. And when I was doing it that age, it was confusing to me because it was very transactional. For instance, a photographer would say, hey, if you do this free photo shoot for me, I'll get you this client. And so I believed the world was very transactional. And I, I thought that that's what people, how and why people cared about me because of what I could do for them. And that was, that, I think that started my insecurity. And, you know, when you go in, not now, this doesn't happen anymore, but when I was very young modeling, you know, we got weighed in and we got measured. And if, listen, if my hair wasn't the perfect length that was on my comp card, which is our resume, or it wasn't the perfect color, then they sent you home. And so there was a lot of shame involved, a lot of perfectionism. And I tried to keep up with that and it didn't work. Uh, Ultimately, my self-esteem suffered And I felt not very good about myself. I felt like I was letting myself down. I felt shame. And when I was diagnosed with cancer and I had three other, my other two illnesses, you know, when you're pushed against a wall like that and you're faced with death and a diagnosis, then you have to really look inside and go, okay, did their opinion matter or does my opinion matter? Mm. And what am I going to do with that going forward? And so I started to listen to myself more. Because I knew, I mean, even though I was young and pretty and had this picture-perfect life, I was lonely, I was insecure, and now faced with an illness. And I had a choice how to not only to respond, but I had a choice as to how to model courage for other people. And so when I got through that illness, and I knew that life had an expiration date, it wasn't just this thing down the road, right? It was like if face with it. Yeah. Then I took my time more seriously and I, and I realized that there was no U-Haul behind the hearse. You can't take that stuff with you. And there was an opportunity to do something with my life. And what I decided to do was to serve because that in essence gave me more joy. I wanted to feel joy.
0: Hmm. Is joy something that you express? You mentioned speaking engagements. Is that something that you make a point to sort of express?
1: I do. I talk about that, you know, when I'm talk, speaking. But I also, speaking to me, having a voice gives me great joy. And we all have a voice. But we don't always believe we have a voice. And when you start to believe you have a voice, your voice can be louder.
0: So what would you suggest that individuals do whose voice is, um, and I struggle with it as well, um, who feels like their voice is um, so small.
1: Well, I lived that life for 40 years, so I know that feeling. And I just don't live that life anymore because I'm not rooted in things of this world. I'm rooted in wow. faith. I'm rooted in God. I'm rooted in biblical, biblical uh, scriptures that say I'm enough. Be, you know, Do not be afraid, for I am with you. Let go and let God. Those are the things that I meditate on. And so if I get you know somebody that says a negative comment on social media, I could care less. I don't care about what other people think of me. I care about my measure is God. And that's the difference for me.
0: Yeah, I remember seeing a post of yours where someone, um, I think, mistook you for a, a male, which I don't know how that's yeah. possible, because you're just... <laughs> physically gorgeous and beautiful. Um, and I just remember your response was so interesting. Would you like to speak to that?
1: Yeah, so I was, my breasts were removed when I had breast cancer, but I had implants. And in 2020, when the whole world shut down for COVID, I was in and out of the hospital because I had a staph infection in my implant. And ultimately, the staph infection turned into a MRSA infection, which turned into an emergency surgery which turned into the implant coming out permanently because a lot of my skin and my tissue around that implant was destroyed. And so now I have a concave chest. And so after I had a concave chest, which was many years after I had breast cancer, I didn't face that when I had cancer, it was very confusing for me. And I had to figure out like, am I gonna wear prosthetics? Am I gonna show this? Am I gonna wear, you know, what what clothing can I wear? And I just, I, I looked around and I just said to myself, this is who I am, take it or leave it. This is what I look like. I'm all start up. I, I can't wear the clothes that I used to wear. I can't, I don't look like all the other women, most of the other women in the world, but that's okay because I was okay with myself. And so when I started posting that stuff on social media, like in tight fitted stuff, because I was so proud of myself, you know, there was a major change in my life, major physical change in my life, but I was still who I was because it was from the inside out. Yeah. And this man posted on my social media saying, were you born a man or a woman? And to be honest with you, it kind of threw me because I looked in the mirror and I thought to myself, are my friends and family telling me that this looks okay, but it really oh. doesn't. Wow. Am I telling myself that this okay looks okay, but it really doesn't? And it took me about three days of introspection. And I finally responded to him. And and the other thing, as a side note, I changed how I responded to people after I had cancer. I don't want to respond out of pride. I don't want to respond out of malice. I only want to respond out of compassion, but that takes a lot of practice. And so it took me about three days before I could respond to this man. And when I responded, I asked him, I said, I didn't delete his comment. I didn't trash him on social media. I just said, why did you ask me that? And he responded and he said, Hey, it's no big deal. It was an inappropriate question. And so if what, because I acted out of compassion, he responded out of compassion. And I think on, especially on social media, when people throw things out there that are meant to hurt you, if you fight back, they're going to continue to hurt you. So just, Throw up your hands and say, it doesn't matter what this person thinks of me. I don't care what this person thinks of me. I don't wish him ill will, but I'm not going to respond out of malice like, oh, I'm going to get you back. I'm going to respond out of compassion and say, why'd you say it?
0: Christine, that's a mic drop response. I absolutely love that. (laughs) I'm serious. (laughs)
1: That's
0: amazing. That's great. Thank you so much. So tell my audience where they can find you on the internet.
1: So my website is christinehandy.com. I am on Instagram, Christine Handy One. I am on Facebook. I'm on I'm on Pinterest, which I'm kind of trying to get more Pinterest followers. So if you have a Pinterest, follow me. <laughs> okay. It's Chris. It's Christine. It's like one Christine Handy, but it's Christine Handy, author. Go find me because I put a lot of really good stuff on Pinterest, and I, I I really want people to see it.
0: Yeah. Well, you're such a thoughtful and and such an inspiring woman. I really appreciate today's conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hi there. I really hope you enjoyed listening to today's podcast episode of The Human Resolve. If you feel that others may enjoy this episode as well, please share socially at The Human Resolve. They can also visit my website, TheHumanResolve.com, where I offer one-on-one coaching sessions, daily prompts to move in the right direction, synced directly to your smartphone and a subscription to my weekly newsletter where I probe into the secrets from living smarter to feeding your three brains. If you could also help me out and give me a review and rating on this platform, because I do care what you have to say, I would really appreciate it. Now, get out there, my friends, and get busy living.